you, you actually having two weddings, right? You're marrying your co-founders and you're marrying us as an investor because we invested so early. We might be here for 10 years, same with your co-founders. So what would you do if you want to marry someone? You want to take for dinner. You want to spend vacation. You want to talk about deeper things. You want to talk about values. You want to talk about your objectives in life. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by, I'm going to try to get the whole name, Jose Cristobal Alonso Martin, but you can call him El Patron. Is that right? That's very good, Anthony. Excellent. I was trying, Cristobal. So uh, he's also that he is the CEO of Startup Wise Guys. Uh, Cristobal, I call you so many names. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners about Startup Wise Guys and a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. Uh, Well, Startup Wise Guys is an accelerator for the last 10 years. So invested in 304 companies in the last Decade, so probably the most active early stage investor in Europe and CIS, and now entering also Africa from the investment point of view. It started out of Estonia, now with presence in eight cities, and kind of our tagline in the ways that we want to invest in overlook founders and help them build great international sustainable companies. Uh, myself, as you might have guessed by my Oxford accent, I'm from UK, not, I'm actually from Spain. Even if I'm being living in, I think by now, 25, 30 cities, I'm being alternating between, I started in telco in six oppositions. This is my third time CEO in a startup. We can call it a serial entrepreneur. I don't know. And I have actually the amazing pleasure to be in a startup that itself is growing as an organization, but at the same time, investing in other founders. So surrounded constantly by my own struggles on our own scalability, but also all our founders that we advise, that we invest into. It was constantly asking, how do we do this, right? And last, maybe I just wrote a book about it. It's called Perform the Unsexy Truth of a Startup Success. We start to dig into the, the things that we control as CEOs and founders, that just by doing those things well, we actually have a much larger opportunity to be successful in our ventures. Awesome. I mean, maybe we can start there. Like, what are the things that organizations, you know, because of course there's people who are established, you know, we've got people leading billion dollar PLs, and then people who are like, hey, I need to like create a plan with my team. Like, what are those? Well, I don't know if it's unsexy things, but what do you see being the key underpinning to the organizations and companies and leaders that become successful and get through that next level? Yeah, I think what well, I can I can give you two or three of those. There's seven, one per letter, right? But one of the, one of these is what we call purpose and values, the culture of companies. And I think the fact that it is very difficult as we grow to keep that culture that you have at the beginning, right? So as I see, uh, uh, as an amazing opportunity to keep success when scaling is maintaining that purpose, that values, that culture that has gotten you initially, who had the troops around you to do the impossible. Um, you know, every time we jump on myself now in the route to 100 people, I can see how difficult. And I keep to say, I used to say, once we get to 50, that's too many people to keep this culture. And now, no, 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 I didn't ever say that. Now it's 100, right? But I think I say, people, 
corporates are no bad guys. It's just very difficult when you have so many stakeholders, when you grow so much. So to me, it's keeping that purpose, those values real uh, when the company is evolving and evolving the stories from founders to employees to become the ambassadors is, I think, one of, one of the key ones, especially when things come wrong, right? When we, we have to rally, right? I think that's one of them. The second one is the ongoing need for, for planning. I think it's underestimated, especially in the startups, and then it's overused in corporates. So how do we maintain that balance? Uh, and the third one will be the ongoing definition of roles and responsibilities and the objectives, right? So I think too many startups hire whatever I need without clearly defining what's the role and they feel, oh, that's a boring, that's a process. But I think if we don't define the roles and the responsibilities, we cannot define OKRs or objectives, we cannot define performance, employees don't know they're doing well, we cannot feedback, and that creates a very, very bad, bad loop, right? And I think the ability to do that, but the ability as you grow, to keep saying to everyone, how are they impacting our growth strategy, not just doing the daily job, is the challenge of leaders. It's a strategy founders, then it goes to managers, and it's to team managers. And I think as you grow, and I think that the corporations, when we are able to tell everyone, how are you impacting the company growth, the strategy, you become very powerful. But most employees, they don't even know that, right? So... Yeah. And I think those are some really, so, uh, you know, underpinning everything with the purpose and values, making sure that you do planning, but not too much of it. And then, you know, developing ongoing and evolving the roles and responsibilities within an organization. And what I find interesting about that is the, is the parallels between, you know, like a, a, a new CEO and a, you know, startup or young business. And of course, you know, now a, a startup could be 500 people, but the, the need for leaders, even middle managers to have those things be explicit uh, to get their most out of their teams. And I think the, at the heart of that was, hey, how can we um, tie all of those things in to drive forward the the basically corporate strategy, yeah. corporate objectives. Everybody can be a CEO, few people can be leaders, right? And I think I remember when the COVID first hit us, having a discussion with some DC in the C region saying, now it's time to prove leadership, right? So everybody has been keeping their CEO tags and they thought because they raise money, they are great CEOs. And I think in the last two years has been time to prove that there are leaders there, right? With our people, with our circumstances, with the war, with the health, with everything. Companies need leaders, right? Not CEOs, right? And I think, it, by the way, it's been a very proving time. It's never been easy, right? But I think when we look at the mirror, we we, we need to feel that are we, are we leading our people, right? Mm. Well, it's, I mean, I think it's a great way to look at our conversation. So if we think that the world and companies don't need CEOs, they need leaders, and the changes that have happened over the past two years, what do you see being needed? What do you see being wanted in in the companies that you're you're working in as we look forward over the next like 6, 12, 18 months? What kind of trends do you see um, both in management and then in the market that people should be aware of? I, I think the, the evolution of communication as a leader, because we, we could rely a lot on informal and direct or on-site, so suddenly we find ourselves leading, you know, people anywhere, everywhere, people that we might not see in a year, even in two, right? So how do you manage that? But also, how do you manage the people that you see every day versus the people that you don't see every day, right? How do you make them feel that 
they're not they are still part of the team that you're not favoring the people near you right and and i think is making be very clear how do you share information right that you're sharing the information the same way regardless if they're in the next room versus if they're in another continent right especially when they don't choose to but it doesn't matter today they choose to right so to me it's the evolution of communication which leads me to the second big challenge which is how do I, how do we understand that our people is engaged right because again before you just drop by the let's have a coffee you talk you do a small talk and, and you know and, and people who has been managing people can sense things rather easily right today we're having a conversation and half of the people doesn't even have the camera on so how do you find those those nuggets and unfortunately there there is data so I think there is a search for data and we need to be a smart getting data, not just living with hypotheses and assumptions. That's one thing that I think we need to learn a lot. And I think this is why HR, which has evolved from HR to people management, to, to talent management. And in a status, you only hire HR in the past when you needed uh, to hire people, when you need to hire a lot of people, right? I think then you realize you have to also onboard them. But now we realize that the most difficult thing is to engage them and to keep them engaged. I think that's why people management, people leaders have been so in demand. Uh, but the, the second thing is we need to put more time. You know, we need to call people out of the blue and say, how are you doing? In the first reaction, say, oh, my God, that did something wrong. The CEO is calling me, right? But soon say, I don't know. I just want to check on you, right? Uh, you know, and again, that was easier before. You grab a coffee in the way you to have your own coffee. So, you know, you just invest in a bit extra time. And you need you really need to find the time. Uh, but I think that's the only one of the few ways to keep your people engaged constantly, right? So it's more time, but then then it's also articulating, I think, data uh, and generating data in ways that we have never done before. Uh, and I think that has become fundamental, right? And maybe the third one, kind of going back to the culture, I used to talk that there is only good, cult no, great cultures and weak cultures, right? Or strong cultures and weak cultures. But I realized that they have to be also sustainable, some of our great cultures are burning people because they're very demanding, right? So if we are thinking that we're creating companies for 10, 20, 30 years, we need to understand how to create sustainable cultures. How do they give a space to people to take their own vacation? Actually, I'm all about there is no vacation. You take vacation whatever you want to, right? It's, it's about trust. But how do we also create people that they can really go on vacation, that they can really switch off their devices, that they can really feel that the, the, the company is not looking bad at them, that people is, they're not leaving people behind, that they don't come back and within a week they're stressed out because there's so much waiting for them, right? So how do we create the structures around that? I think it's to me fundamental to build organizations in which people will want to stay uh, in the future, right? Yeah, no, I, it's great. I mean, everything that you're saying it really aligns with how we look at strategy, how we look at people development, because we obviously do strategic planning and not too much of it, just the right amount. But then when we look at the implementation, it's not around just, hey, let's just do more stuff. It's building the structure, systems, processes to support the right environment around the plan. And, and one of the things that I took away from what you shared with the bridging of communication and data for, for leaders is... You know, if you're up here as a CEO and there's all this information action, like your job is to get down to here to be able to like take that and then pull it into strategy, which I think it'd be easier for you to just take information and make decisions. But as a CEO in these times, especially in the 
more asynchronous work that to get everybody together and on the same page is critical. The other thing that really stood out for me when we did our intro is that you said like the companies you invest in are sustainable. And I was meaning to come back to that to say, hey, what does that mean? You know, does that mean we're going to make a quick buck? Does that mean that they're going to grow quickly and then we're going to exit? Or does that mean that really you're thinking a, a, a 20 kind of 20 year time frame plus to say, that's what I'm looking for. So maybe walk me through how you think of sustainability in a business. And then how does that impact your uh, decision to invest or support or, or what have you, if you can, you know, walk yeah. me through that. Yeah. I think we have three, three answers there. A, we're also investing more and more in companies that have CO2 reduction as the key measurement of sustainability, but there is many ways there. The second one is, to me, sustainable is, is companies that are working on the betterment of society in whatever it is. Might be creating amazing jobs, might be actually securing the data instead of security for companies, but finding what are they doing that improves society, right? But the third one is what you said, is companies, there are, they are not here for the quick back, right? So I always tell people, if we build, you know, out of 300 companies, 150 companies that are here in 10 years from now, the chances that 10, 20 of them are really amazing companies that can exit through whatever method are very high, right? So to me, it's when you try to fabricate, manufacture unicorns, I think you're doing the wrong thing. I think you're going, you're telling people, I'm here to do it fast, and if it doesn't work, burn it and do the next thing. And we actually want to do completely the opposite, right? Oh, especially because we invest very early. So I want to be, we are patient. You know, we are already 10 years old ourselves. We can be, I want to, I'm defining the next 20 years strategy next. So I think it's building companies that can last, right? And, and you said, yes, I think one of the key questions I ask always founders when I invest is, you know, why are you doing this, right? I'm finding that there is something inside them, driving them, that is no money, right? And the second one is we really, Try to dig as much as you can in early stage in the founders and in the founder teams as a team, right? So how well these people, I always tell them, you're getting married, guys. You're actually having two weddings, right? You're marrying your co-founders and you're marrying us as an investor because we're investing so early. We might be here for 10 years, same with your co-founders. So what would you do if you want to marry someone? You want to take for dinner. You want to spend vacation. You want to talk about deeper things. You want to talk about values. You want to talk about your objectives in life. So I said, you need to do all of that. Hopefully you have done some of that with your, with your founders, but I want to dig into that, right? Uh, and to me, you know, when we say to people, we invest in founders, it's not just a tagline, right? To me, it's really, really, really trying to dig. And I think personally, you know, I'm sure there's much more clever people to, than me analyzing products and markets. But the one thing I think we do very well is exactly reading founders. Uh, and distinguishing some founders from others. Of course, you made some mistakes, but I think it's trying to dig into that one that changes, right? So I think kind of answered your, your question. And I always ask them on the why is, how would you measure your impact, right? How, how would you tell your mom you're proud about this venture 10 years from now? What would you make you proud to tell your parents about your company? And when you dig that, you, I think you start thinking, you know, what's the death? of the long-term vision of these people, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, what's my burning question in my brain is, is the approach to startups and business creation distinct or different in Europe and Eurasia 
and Africa than in North America. And, and I don't know if you have an answer to that, but I'm, I'm curious as to if there is a cultural impact of where you live and how that defines how you look at creating value or no, if, if it's kind of the same. I think, I think the investment side of the, so if you look at the VCs, okay, I do sense there is a difference, right? And I, I tell you an example. When we when we were hit by COVID, uh, I was invited to a talk. There was a very big Silicon Valley guy, a former Silicon Valley now in London, and myself. And the Silicon Valley said, founders, it's time to fire everyone, reserve cash, and move on, right? And to me, it was like, no, it's time to actually prove that your culture is valuable, write all of this together. So I think there is this social component that we have in Europe. That I, I, I cannot say you have it in Africa or in Asia. I'm starting to work in Africa, but I can tell you that is very different from the U.S. Of how entrepreneurs look at the impact. That I think is different. If you ask me, actually, I even differentiate a lot between the what we call the the old Europe or the Western, large Western European countries, and the new Europe, so especially Central Eastern Europe, etc. Which I think the hunger is different. The hunger is just. You know, our parents have not taken our founders on vacation to Paris and to Disney World. And, you know, so I think there is a, a different level of patience and a different level of, uh, you know, frugality that allows them to stay longer in this in the fight if needed. Right. And, and I do see that difference. And we're trying to say we want to move the new Europe to be a geographical difference, to be a cultural difference uh, on how younger generation hopefully will approach making these businesses in the future right so i think we can find these founders with frugality and with ambition and i think it's the impact i think the new generation in some ways is more fragile to failure and we need to change that or help coaching that i don't know we can change it but i think they're more impact driven i think that's the one thing we need to dig in to make them resilience right to 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 take don't don't give up because you cannot give up on your impact dream. And I think they are much more impact driven that we that many of in our generation has been, right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, and and again, a dumb question from being over here: Co- competitiveness, just as competitive? Like, are there like everybody like lots of startups? Because obviously, if you've got like Silicon Valley or you know like New York or you know Boston, etc., you know, is it very competitive, or are you finding that the good ideas are really bubbling to the top? I think it's a supply demand. I think it's still very competitive. It used to be that there was less ideas because there was less money. As there is more money, there is more ideas. I still think that the world has more money than than great ideas, no matter where you are, right? But I do see the the, the scale is coming. Yeah, you know, it, the Baltics, the same point. Yeah, no, that's too much. There's six million people between the three Baltic countries uh, right now, right? We have eleven unicorns, right? Uh, we have a thousand startups, right? We actually have at the same level of per capita a startup and unicorn that Israel, right? So, so I think it's coming in the smaller places. Then, what same point five six million? I don't know, Maine maybe it's smaller, but you know, it's not even a state in many of the US, right? So I think the competition is there, but I think, again, people want their country, their community to be successful, not just themselves. So the give back is very strong about helping the whole ecosystem succeed and then taking people. I think 
So I would say almost the the, the country is more proud, the, the the ecosystem is more proud, more competitive than each single entrepreneur that is not trying to elbow the other guy around, right? But we're trying to make everybody. Then, of course, inside there is fight, like nowhere is perfect, right? But I think there is this very strong regional, we want the Estonia, we want the Baltics, we want Central Eastern Europe, and you cannot carry this flag very strongly to compete, right? Yeah. No, and the the reason I'm, well, I'm asking out of interest because I find it fascinating. I'm asking because um, as the geopolitical strength shifts potentially away from the West, potentially, I'm not saying it is, but, the, you know, there's a lot of great things happening in Europe. My family is French and, you know, the France doesn't have... Um, as I see it, that type of entrepreneurial culture, mainly because of social systems, but there's a lot of other countries in Europe that do. And I think that also like to your point, because of the size and the fact that it is community driven and the fact that you're not, you don't have thousands and thousands of miles between businesses that like you're way more connected to the, to the people there. And from a North American perspective, you know, that's where innovation is going to happen. Like I think for us, to be really successful as a society, we have to look at all of the options for great businesses, for great organizations, for great collaboration, for remote work. And, you know, if you think, I don't know, it was like 20 years ago when people were like offshoring now, you know, offshoring, but also developing a distributed workforce so you could have the great talent. And I'm, you know, excited and curious to see as the economics of the world change, who is going to dig in to that growth and who is going to lean back and wait. And I think it's going to be a really interesting time for anybody because there's a lot of opportunity. There's always opportunity. And if you're hungry, you'll get after it. So, and it's cool. And that's why I'm really happy to speak because yeah. you're at the heart of it. Picking up in one of your points, you know, I think there is an advantage in the U S that has been there, which is the size of the market uh, and the both size population businesses, but also wealth, let's say but there is one thing in Europe, which is to, to reach even that scale, you need to be present in eight, nine, 10 markets, right? So it's more difficult, but at the same time, you're way more adaptable, right? You, 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 you understand that cultures are different. So I think if you can succeed in that and you you almost out of your country, you start the business thinking, I'm going to go international, right? Where in the US, international is I go to, you know, I don't need to go international. In a way, I could probably can become a unicorn just being here. Why should I bother, right? And I understand it, right? In many ways, right? But as you said, when suddenly you need to fight to get talent anywhere, and in fact, you might be much better hiring your 10 uh, engineers in Ukraine or in Nigeria that are doing it in Silicon Valley because of value, because they will stay longer, because you can train them, because they might have expertise that you don't find. This adaptability might make it easier for people who has been born and grown up in those environments of growth, right? And I think also in regulated environments, that might be the case. In regulated industries, again, it's a pain in the butt to understand all the regulations that are different in different countries. But in regulated, you need to understand it. And, and I think you are more used to deal with all these legalities that you need to deal with, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and uh, I'm from calling from Canada. And so for us, you know, we're a small country relative to, you know, a 16 times market size just below us. It doesn't make any sense. But for any of those countries to succeed, our country to succeed, we need export. So I just think it's cool if you can build a product that has global use and application, then the internet is that great uh, equalizer. Uh, Cristobal, as we finish up here, 
you know, we have our, our audience, senior managers, people leading organization. What is like the one thing that you'd like to leave them with as they look to build those sustainable organizations and they shift away from just being CEOs to truly being leaders in their organization? I think we, you know, they, let me put two, two things on this thought. One, from the startup and then I go into larger organizations. So we have this motto, which is build the company from customers, not for investors. I would almost say that we need to start when the, we start growing is build a company for your employees, not for your customers. Because I think if we are able to do that well, the, cust- the employees will take care of the customers, right? And I always make this analogy that brand and culture is the same thing. It's just brand is the promise to the outside. Culture is how we live it inside. So once we start being established and being known, if you're keeping the focus on your employees and getting your culture to retain that strength, they will take care of the customers, right? So I think when we are faced with so many dilemmas as leaders in this growth, remote, pandemic, hybrid, et cetera, is spend time with your employees, find time to get data from your employees, uh, make sure that your managers are dedicating enough time to give feedback. Uh, you know, let's build the pressure of how we're taking care of our people instead of uh, how is the ROI. I think they, they will do it for us in a way, if you if you think about it. So, and then that will give us time for the strategy and then we go back to employees, right? So I think, you know, it's a strategy and employees, the middle, I think our people will take care of it uh, in that sense. And I think that might be maybe a paradigm shift from this so much, you know, financials, uh, customers to employees, employees, employees. I think that's what the fight for the future is. Uh, and with the new generations coming being so different from the uh, older generations, that's what we're going to succeed if we can get that mix there. Mm, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I look forward to, I will think of you as as we look at the future and see what organizations have. I, I absolutely agree with you. So it'll be interesting to see how people uh, apply it. Where can people get uh, in touch with you? Where can they learn more about what you're up to? Well, uh, LinkedIn, always there. You know, if not, Funny enough, but you can put El Patron at startupwiseguys.com. I don't say Christopher because they always misspell. Since I said Patron, everybody sends me emails, so that's great. So El Patron at startupwiseguys.com and startupwiseguys.com is always there. So I think that's the easiest one. But I have a rule. I answer every LinkedIn. I answer every email. So, you know, if you reach me, I will reach back to you for sure. Perfect. Well, you know, you're going to get one from me very soon. But Christopher, thank you so much for chatting. Uh, es un placer. And uh, I just appreciate the time today. Thank you, thank you. Folks, my guest today, Jose Cristobal Alonso Martin, also known as El Patron, CEO of Startup Wise Guys. Thanks so much for the time today. Folks, I hope you enjoyed our interview. I'm excited for what the future holds for you. I'm excited for what the future holds for your people. Make sure to bridge that gap between where you are as a leader and communicate and bring it back down and we'll build sustainable organizations for the future. So this has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. Thanks again for watching. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. 
Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.